Hey everyone, welcome to Happy Sad Talk Thing. My name is Mac and Carol, this is my podcast. And today, I am re-releasing an episode that I did in, I think, December of 2016. Um, I sat down with my grandma, then age 96 or 97, and uh, she passed away last week at the age of 100. Uh, her 101st birthday would have been on Saturday, where we held a funeral for her um, in Cape Cod. And uh, so I heard the news that she passed away, and I was just so excited that I had, excited is the wrong word, but I was relieved that I had this chance to do this podcast with her because it was something that I'd wanted to do for a while. And I'm just, I feel really lucky that I got to have this uh, conversation with her and I listened back to it and it was just really comforting to hear my grandmother. Um, she, her name's Dottie. Um, yeah, she lived to be a hundred. She did not die of COVID, um, which I'm very grateful for because that seems like a very challenging way to die, being separated from your loved ones. And she got to spend the last year of her life not in a nursing home, um, which apparently can be a very miserable environment, especially in this last year of the pandemic. Um, she was living with one of her sons and it is definitely the closest grief I've experienced or like the closest person to me that has passed away before. So it's been interesting and as sad as it is, it's not as tragic as it could be. She lived a really full life and she passed away peacefully. And that's how you want to go. 100 years. Take care, you know. Um, she lived a remarkable life. She uh, was born in 1920. And we'll, we'll, we'll go through the stories of her life in the interview. Um, but yeah, she, uh, raised five kids single-handedly pretty much. Her husband passed away. Uh, my grandfather, Robert McIncarroll I, um, whose former ashtray sits on my desk, gifted to me by my cousin, uh, Chip, and, uh, he was a Navy captain. I think he got to the rank of captain by the end of his time in the Navy. A submarine captain. And this ashtray was on one of the submarines he served on. Um, it's like five pounds. <laughs> so it would stay put uh, underneath the ocean. And uh, it's, an, it's a cool artifact. I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I don't really believe in the afterlife very much, but my dad gave a very nice eulogy in which he said, 
that she would be reunited with her husband after 61 years of being apart. And she never remarried, and she wore her wedding ring till the day she died. And that was a very sweet image to me, that got to me. I haven't cried since, and I'm trying not to judge myself for how I'm grieving. Um, it's definitely, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I'm just trying to kind of allow it to happen, not not try to compare it to the people around me too much. Um, I think, yeah, coronavirus has dis- disrupted has made the dying process that much stranger for the people going through it themselves who are dying and those around them. And this was not impacted as greatly because she didn't die of it. Um, I went to one funeral earlier in the pandemic for my friend's grandma. And um, it was strange because I didn't want to hug anybody, you know, because I didn't want to get coronavirus. But that is not like funerals before that. I already don't fucking know what to do. I don't think anybody does. The only thing that feels natural to do is give somebody a hug. And so like with that in question or off the table, um, it becomes that much more challenging. Um, now, there were a lot of people that had received both vaccinations. Uh, a lot of relatives of mine over the age of 65 that I felt comfortable hugging, um, but it also felt weird to deny other people hugs. Um, a couple that just happened and didn't want to make a stink about it. Uh, and it was also nice to receive a hug. Um, but certainly not something you want to be negotiating in your mind. Coronavirus boundaries. <laughs> and the thing that I wasn't expecting the challenge I wasn't expecting is like when somebody dies, you don't only have to deal with your feelings about it, but you also have to deal with everybody else's feelings about it. Not that you have to take them on, but your relationships with the living are impacted by it. And so everybody's grief is something that, you know, just like navigating all of that, all of the logistics with people who are also grieving in very different ways. Um, but it was just, I don't know, it, just a reminder that life is really precious and goes away. And it's one thing to know that intellectually and it's one thing to know a person that was always a phone call away that is no longer. And also to be extremely grateful for all the, the just wealth of memories that I have with this wonderful woman, including this interview that we'll get to. Um, yeah, it was also, the interviews were interesting for a lot of reasons, mainly to just hear from my grandma. Also just like where I was in my life, um, politically and uh, ideologically and stuff and so, anyways, a lot, a lot of things on my mind uh, of a recent trip to the East Coast to kind of see relatives and stuff and people that I've seen at formative ages in my life. And, and uh, 
you know, people who are important to me and as I've grown up and found my identity, I find myself relating to and, and differing from in, in various ways and like, it's just all fucking weird, man. <laughs> but it was nice. It was nice to, to have so many people to share this experience with um, and not have to do it alone. Um, and I think that's all I have to say right now. I love you all dearly. Um, if you're thinking of calling somebody, call them. That's all. I love you very much. And, uh, of the many mixed emotions I have about my grandmother's passing, the one I want to highlight right now is just, uh, Gratitude that this uh, badass cool lady with a million funny stories uh, about her greatness, her wit, her, uh, yeah, classiness, gratitude. Someone who lived a life that, that could have been very bitter about all the things that happened to her uh, and instead was just always extremely grateful and graceful about all of it. Really puts things into perspective for me the age of 25 you know both my grandparents had like you know dealt with fucking one of them going off to world war ii coming back anyways love you all and uh i hope this brings you some sort of joy some sort of advice from her perspective um if you knew her then I hope this is a nice memory of her. If you didn't know her, I hope there's something in there, a pearl of some kind. Um, yeah, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Here's the show. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. today daddy i'm fine just great awesome thanks for agreeing to do my podcast i really appreciate well, it well we've been looking forward to it a long time and <laughs> I, i've tried it and then messed it up and <laughs> so this this looks like the most intelligent approach <laughs> with you oh so i i would love to just hear about your life you know where were my you? life yeah it's been so long, I've forgotten half of it. Uh, yeah, you're, you're 95 now? I'm 96. 96. Almost 97, coming in March of 17. So you were born in... 1920. 1920. With the even number, it's, it's easy to keep track. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you born? I was born in Boston at my grandmother's house. Yeah. At which time my mother and father, who was a student uh -huh. um, and working, were living with my grandmother, as were some of her other children. Yeah, it was more as, common back then. And in other countries, too, that's pretty common. 
like people, what a, what people a, living a, with their parents and their grandparents all in one house. Yeah, they did. They, they, my grandmother actually was my mother's mother was the breadwinner for her family. Yeah. Her, hus, her husband was just a lovable person, but he was not a breadwinner. Yeah. And my grandmother, I forgot when how old she was when she came here, but she was a young woman, and she went to work immediately for yeah. the uh, uh, sort of aristocracy that was living on Beacon Hill at the time, and she mm-hmm. worked as a seamstress, I think, and she amassed uh, her sort of fortune at the time and bought um, uh, finally had three homes houses that she bought really yeah and I, I I hesitate to even try to recall what the prices of the homes were <laughs> but they were like people say the forerunner of the condominium because they were three-decker homes that a lot of the Irish people bought and yeah um, they she, would she came from Ireland my grandmother came from Ireland, yeah, mm-hmm. and her husband did too. Whereas, on the other hand, my father's family, my father's father was born in Rhode Island. Really? Yeah, but we never knew him. I never knew him or much about him. Uh huh. Um, but my mother's mother was a was a real strict Irish. Yeah. Sort of a pain in the neck, really. But she was she was uh, very strict, and she had to be. She had thirteen children. Oh man! Yeah, and uh, some of them, I think, were born before she left Ireland uh-huh. and died in childbirth. And, oh man! Which was more common in those days. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever ask her why she decided to immigrate to America? Why she what? Why she came to America? I I've forgotten when it was, uh, but it was to make a living. I mean, yeah. I think that Ireland was not um, productive, and I think she just saw the opportunities. And I think she and her husband both made the decision to come mm-hmm. here. And um, she, I would say that she was considered quite successful. She was, yeah. And she died young. She died at 62, uh-huh. as did my mother, of natural causes, right. which was quite young, uh-huh. but not uncommon in those days, right. which is amazing now. And I think I'm the longest living one of either family. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Were you uh, close with your grandma at all? Were you guys friends? What is it? Were you close with your grandma? No. Not at all. She was cold as a. <laughs> she was as cold as could be. Yeah. Not a bit. Um, not a bit affectionate or even loving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was. She was very strict. Right. And um, and cold. She was not a warm person. She was all right. You know. She, yeah. Never like a grandmother. <laughs> what uh? What were your parents like? My parents, yeah. Well, my father—they were my p- mother and father were married when they were quite young, I think. And my mother worked as a telephone operator because her mother had all of her children leave school when they were able to get a job. 
And my mother mm-hmm. used to say that she used to have to bring home her her uh, salary check unopened and give it to my grandmother. Really? Which naturally, living at home in those days, yeah. they would. And I think of when I went to work, when I graduated from college, um, I never even told my parents what I was making. I worked for <laughs> Esquire magazine in the advertising department and really? I never never told them but my father would ask me what my salary was so we never had to even think about re-giving yeah. money uh, at home so uh-huh. it was different even in that short generation span right you know that uh, that, that, that things had changed my father was so easygoing and he mm. was successful I mean even though he he worked for United Fruit and he was going to um Law school, and he went to um, Babson. No, Bentley, not Bent- mm-hmm. Bentley's. And he became a CPA. So he was very, very smart. He never hit an even grade. <laughs> he went from, and they had to have 10 grades first, third, five, seven, nine, and 11. Yeah. And that was grammar school. And when he graduated uh, from high school, he looked like. He was should be in the seventh grade, <laughs> but he was very very bright. Oh, because he skipped the grades because he was so smart. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was very bright, and. Um, did him and your mother get along well? They have a good relationship. No, they did up to a point. Right. And then uh, their relationship collapsed when I was in high school. But we all we had a happy home life. He came yeah. home all the time. But they live separate lives. Uh-huh. That's the best way I can describe it. Was it hard for you when, when their relationship kind of collapsed, as you said? They did it what? Was it hard for you? It was when I first found out that it was not what I expected it to be. He was yeah. great. He had a wonderful disposition. He was always great to all of us, the six kids that I, yeah. siblings. He was terrific. My mother was a little strict, I think, like her own mother. And my father had, I think, an outstanding um, sense of humor, and my mother yeah. was totally lacking. <laughs> but she was terrific. She was very hospitable to any kids that we brought home from school, even mm. When we were in college, we didn't even have to say, I'm bringing so-and-so home. It was, it was always ready for anybody who wanted to come home and stay there. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, amazing. They were great. It was, it was, despite what it would should have been, it was a happy, really a happy home. Uh, we had lots of fun, uh, four brothers. Yeah, and um, older or younger? I had one brother older, uh-huh. and ever, and then I was the second. Okay, and um, the other four. There, in other words, it was my, our family was sort of the the older kids and the younger kids, right? And I was in the older three, right? And and the younger three were brought up differently. They went to private school because my father, by that time, had been quite successful. Mm-hmm. And I had gone to a parochial school, which I absolutely loved. What does that mean? And uh, it was uh, um, a parochial school. You mean what was it like? Yeah, well, what well, is, it was I've never a heard parish of that. school. Okay. 
Catholic? And, uh, Catholic Notre Dame nuns. I had 16 years of nuns teaching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I went from um, Notre Dame nuns at St. Gregory's High School to Regis College, oh. which was a different order of nuns, but they were nuns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, there isn't one. I don't think any of them have nuns. Yeah, I had one nun. At, did you? At, at, I went to Catholic high school only. I know you did. Yeah, and I had a you mean Sister wore Marie. The habit? You mean they, they wore the nun? She didn't, no, she didn't wear the habit. No, they no. didn't. That had but she was out. from Ireland. And she's, oh, was she? Oh, um, yeah, so. she's, I think she's about 97 There were some now. of them that were decent and nice and holy, but yeah. there were some of them were not that well <laughs> educated. Yeah. You know, they weren't, but they were teaching. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Were you, was, uh, what were you like in school? Were you uh, I was, a troublemaker uh, or you were teacher's pet? I wasn't a troublemaker. <laughs> I, I was sort of a leader, but I was yeah. little. Right. And um, uh, I think none, the nuns, I had one nun that was just a great friend to me. And uh, one that I had trouble with in my last year of high school I forgot what the incident was, but she wouldn't believe I was telling the truth. And she made my last year miserable because oh. she thought I was lying to her. And before the year ended, she found out that I was telling the truth because the other girl who actually had, what well, I've forgotten what the incident was, but the other girl confessed that it was she who who had done whatever I was accused of doing, which I, at this point in my life, have forgotten. <laughs> but I told her, she, and when she found out that I had been telling her the truth, she was all over me, and I wouldn't give yeah. her the time of day. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I said, I never, I really never forgave her because she made me such, my life so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. What were, uh, what was high school like? When you went to high school, I mean, what were kids? I loved high school. You loved high school? I yeah. did. I loved it. I just um, had a great group of girls. Yeah. Their fathers were... Was they, it an all-girls school? My father had been in the state senate. Right. And because they thought that because of that, that I was in a different social strata than they were. Their father were firemen. One was a fireman. One was a policeman. And we had a very close group of girls we had a great time in high school and doing nothing you know we'd go we were such a part of the choir we'd have to go to three masses on sunday to sing in the choir yeah. so it was a close association and it lasted with a couple of them most of my life with one of the, one of the girls but not my friends later became my friends at regis they yeah, know, college. Yeah, so that was great. Were kids uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking at all in high school? No, never. Never. The, the thoughts of sexual contacts or yeah. anything was never like that. It was like a bunch of kids that we, the girls and boys, would interdate, you know, and they wouldn't. We were just a bunch of kids that were good friends. Yeah, you know, and there wasn't. There was never any drinking. Really. And never, and I smoked in the summer at the beach at Green Harbor with, um, we'd go down in, uh, to Louis, which was down the 
beach and buy a pack of cigarettes yeah. for 15 cents and then smoke them all the way home and then get sick to my stomach, <laughs> and which cured me from smoking for right. the rest of my life. How old were you when, that, yeah. when you did that? About 12. Yeah. <laughs> and all my friends... I don't think any of them who did that would go down on the sidewalk to Louis yeah. to buy the cigarettes, and we'd come back on the beach because we thought we might bump into our parents who might be out walking in the evening. Right. So, and we'd smoke, boom, 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 the whole cigarette right. back, <laughs> and I'd get so sick. Yeah. Uh, it cured me from smoking for the rest of my life. Good, yeah. Yeah, it was good. What, what did you guys do for fun? For fun? Yeah. Our life at, at that stage was mostly on the beach. That was our playground. Yeah. We had canoe, couple of canoes um, on the ocean, which yeah. was a little bit. In a, somebody would have a rowboat, and we could use anybody's boats that we wanted to as long as no, they weren't using them, you know, just get in them and go out and... The most frightening thing, one of the big, tall, strong boys was so afraid of dolphins. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. He wouldn't, if he saw a dolphin, he'd get hysterical. <laughs> and so we, would you yeah, see we, dolphins in the Atlantic Ocean? He what? Would you, you would see dolphins in yeah. the Atlantic? Yeah. Oh, no way. And they'd come up, you know, and they were kind of frightening because yeah. they looked so big. But he was petrified. <laughs> but it was good. that was our playground, yeah. which later proved to be a horrible way. When later knowing the danger of the sun yeah. to your body, uh-huh. you know, Ed, we didn't know that until well into adulthood. Right. Mm. There's no sunblock, no sunscreen. No, there was no such thing as sunblock. We'd put baby oil and. Just to encourage who could get the best tan. The tan. <laughs> oh, gosh, it was unbelievable. What were the bathing suits like? The bathing suits? Yeah. I can remember, like, little shorts yeah. and, and a top, a bra, but they weren't bikinis. Right. All one-piece suits, but uh-huh. they were they were shorts and a top, usually. That was about as daring as we could get in <laughs> Uh, but nothing like the the bikinis. You know? Yeah. Oh, yikes! What uh, about uh, what about music? About what? what? Music. What kind of music did you like? Well, mostly music in those days, as I told you earlier today, were big time orchestras. Yeah. Like uh, Paul Whiteman and Fred Waring, and all wonderful musicians. Uh huh. They did go to the. Um, What's the school I told you in Boston, the music school? Berkeley College of Music? The what? Berkeley? Yeah, Berkeley. Yeah. They were all, in those orchestras, they were all really uh, talented musicians. Yeah, I just walked over there this morning. It's 15 minutes from where we are right now. Is that right? To buy these microphones. There's a a guitar center. And it was like what they called at that time. We were talking about it the other day. Foxtrot. You know, you dance to a... Yeah. Uh, to a really rhythmic um, music. Uh-huh. And they were ballads mostly, I think. Uh-huh. No such thing as rock or guitars, yeah. which all came into being uh, probably 
I forgot what year it was, probably 40, 50 or something. I can't, I can't remember mm-hmm. the year, but it really, all the wonderful Benny Goodman and yeah. uh, all of those orchestras sort of went into oblivion. Right. Jazz orchestras? Did you like jazz? Did I like what? Jazz. Jazz? Jazz music? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought the jazz was great. Um, and they were. it was good music to dance to. Yeah. You know? And they had, I can remember now, they had dance marathons. <laughs> yeah. And people, have you ever seen any of them? Yeah. I, and they would be falling asleep <laughs> and one on their shoulder. I just remember seeing them. Right. Yeah. And um, they just have to stay vertical. Right. <laughs> and they'd earn a lot of money which yeah. if, if they lasted through it. So you must have been a teenager during the Great Depression, right? Mm-hmm. What was that but like? But not realized what the Depression, not really realizing. Yeah. It, you know, you lived uh, I, the way my parents, I guess, uh, handled it. Well, I never felt that it was we were ever poor. Uh-huh. You know, it was um but you would be aware of it um by verbally rather than yeah, by the way we lived. Mm-hmm. You know, it was um and there during the years of Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah. It was was an interesting kind of an era. Yeah. Uh he was. I could. I remember seeing him on the Boston Common when he was first um, preparing to run for president. And yeah, he was very impressive. Yeah, and how he concealed so successfully mm-hmm. the fact that he was uh, paralyzed. Mm. He, he didn't make an issue of that at all. Right, and. Uh, Naturally, being a Democrat, and my father was in the state Senate, he thought Roosevelt was a great Democrat, and um, even though he was an aristocrat, um, I guess that's what he might have been called as opposed to most Democrats. Yeah. But he was, uh, he was an interesting person to, right. as a young kid to realize that he's really the first president that I can remember uh, that I was aware of right. being a president. And he, he was an interesting man, I thought. And he died young also. Yeah. At 62, I think he was, 62 or 3. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, uh, I think, a really interesting uh, person mm. as a, as a teenager to observe as president. Absolutely, yeah. It must have been fat. Like you, you've witnessed a lot of legendary presidencies. Yeah, I know. Political events. What's <laughs> Quite your take? A few. Yeah, <laughs> I said the biggest surprise of, to me as you're growing older was the fact that I, when I realized I was older than the Pope, <laughs> <laughs> I said I couldn't believe the, <laughs> that, the that the Pope. I was older than the Pope. Oh my God. <laughs> because as a kid, the, to me, the Popes were really old, old, old. Yeah. And you never had the uh, openness that uh, with the Pope and the, uh, um, 
knowledge of what he was doing. You know, yeah. be it he was just a holy man that was off <laughs> in Rome somewhere, but... And now so, you see the Pope and you're like, hey, he's yeah, still a kid. They're, they're been, yeah, I've been older than they are for years now. Yeah, you're like, he'll grow up one day. He'll learn. He's <laughs> <laughs> still young. Yeah. What was, um, just real quick, while we're talking about presidents, um, sort of like, what's your impression of sort of what's happening right now? Um, right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always think the world is, is uh, in some kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war years were um, shocking, I thought, and but um, I always have the feeling of optimism about right. the country. Um, I think that things many times have looked so bleak, yeah, and then somehow or another it bounces back and uh-huh. and gets to be what you hope it is, would be, and, yeah. Uh, and I think that uh, the changes of, of um, um, Democrats and Republicans is healthy, I think, for it. And I, even now, it's, it's such a shocking experience to have someone like Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see how that will... <laughs> um, I, I just can't believe he's president, or he will be president. Yeah, I, oh. I, a lot of people I know can't unbelievably, believe it uh, unbe- unbelievably unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been a challenge for me to. I bet it has to try and open my mind and understand people Why that do it, believe in him and people that do support him. Yeah, to try to see it from their point of view has been a challenge for me. Yeah, well, see, as an adult, to me, he came across, I believe, as unbelievably insincere. Yeah. And he certainly hasn't got the character. Not that many of the presidents, you, we did, you didn't go into their personal lives as much as they have since television. And, yeah. And to see um, how the people are um, influenced yeah. by his wealth and his success as a businessman to, to elect him president is... I just can't, it doesn't seem possible to me that he's going to, a man of his character, I would never call him a moral, morally acceptable or yeah. um, any other way. He's, he's, I just think he's, uh, I, I hope he, I, so far he seems to me to be doing the best he can to make things yeah. Um, Different than what he promised in his campaign. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it works out. Um, but he's not someone that I would be proud to to introduce as the president of the United no. States. Nor is he someone you would like lend your dog for the weekend if you were going uh, yeah, out of town. Right, exactly. <laughs> hey, Donald, can you yeah, take care right. of my dog? I would oh. be so worried about my dog oh, yeah. <laughs> the whole time. Oh. His language and all the <laughs> exposure that he had during this campaign would be enough to just say, "Let's toss him aside." Yeah, in my in my book, but the people wanted him, so that's the way our country is. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for weighing in on that. I don't want to dwell yeah. on it too much. There's plenty of that conversation out there, and then yeah. while I have you all here, right. I'd much rather talk to you about <laughs> different about stuff. Me. <laughs> yeah, I, hear, I get enough of Donald okay. Trump on yeah, no, NPR we, and <laughs> we've gone over every aspect. 
Um, <laughs> but you were you were talking about some of the bleaker times, and um, I'd love to touch on those at some point because. Uh, all right, so I just want to go back. So you graduate college, and you said you started working for Esquire magazine. I met, met the my sophomore year in college. I met Bob. You did? Yeah, and I had just real I quick had, for the audience. Bob is Robert McIncarroll the first, who's my grandfather, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Robert McIncarroll the third. Mm-hmm. I just wanted people to know the kind you of want what. I just wanted the people who are going to listen to this later. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> so he, they know. Well, he, I met him. I, because I had four brothers and yeah. and was very um, outgoing and a happy-go-lucky type, I did have a lot of uh, boyfriends. Yeah. I don't mean romantic boyfriends, but uh-huh. a lot of boys who were friends. Okay. And so, um, I mean, I was never overwhelmed by boys or anything. I loved yeah. my, the girls that I were my friends and. Boys sometimes I felt were there were too many of them around because, <laughs> because of my brothers yeah. who were different. They were all different ages, but as I said, the, many of them were friends. And then I went to a dance in um, October of a year. Um, Nineteen. Well, I was a sophomore in college, so that had to be about nineteen. Uh, forty, no, nineteen thirty-eight or nine. Uh-huh. I met him, and then two years later, um, I was engaged. The year after I graduated from college. Amazing. Yeah, and the war had broken out. Yeah. Uh, in the same year I graduated from college, so that changed uh, everyone's life. Yeah. Just before we get to the war, I'm fascinated i'm curious about it but i would love to hear about uh your relationship dating dating bob what was that so you guys yeah. met at the dance well the, the, he he at this dance i went to in cambridge it was some type of sorority dance and the boy that i went with i had never gone out with but he called yeah. me in june to go to a dance in october i mean so i had no excuse yeah and, my mother always said if I accepted a date that I wasn't going to change it if something better came along. <laughs> you know, she made me go keep my word to the... Right. And so I went uh, reluctantly. Uh-huh. And um, Bob was there as a... He had just graduated from Dartmouth. Uh-huh. And it was his first year home uh, after four years up at Dartmouth. And he happened also to be there, but he didn't have a date. So he grew and up in Boston, too? He lived in, yeah, he did. He lived in Belmont and Watertown. Okay. And he and I knew nothing of that side of the city, but I did know a lot of people that he knew. He asked one of the fellows that night if he knew who I was, and the, and the fellow that was standing beside him said he didn't know me, but he knew someone who did. <laughs> and to, after complicated procedure, he we did get together and we went out to at the Buckminster which was a hotel at Kenmore Square I think it's still there uh-huh. and we went with this girl that was a year ahead of me at Regis and um, we never saw them as a couple again I knew a lot yeah. of people that Bob knew and he knew a lot of people I knew and we never saw those people that introduced us <laughs> interesting again. Yeah, really? Think, yeah they weren't at your wedding or anything? no we, I met her 
oh god years and many years later yeah and um she's a year older than i was she's still uh up and around and yeah and and she talks about that night very interestingly and she always thought she was so enthusiastic about me meeting Bob because yeah. she, she thought he was fabulous. So, and he was. What was but, your first impression of Bob? Oh, I thought he was great. He was just so such a happy-go-lucky person. And yeah. Good-looking, athletic. He just was great. And um, we hit it off right away. Yeah. Because he had five younger sisters. Right. And I had a. We both had six kids in a, his family and six <laughs> yeah. kids in mine. His father was a lawyer, mm-hmm. a banker with the National Shawmut Bank. His mother was great, and they were always lovely to me. And yeah, I, I love both of them very much. And uh, uh, the war. What? How? How? The, shortly after we met. Maybe a year, the war broke out. Yeah, the the um, Japs attacked Pearl Harbor, and Bob had signed up with Connie McGrath, who was um, another mutual friend. And he they he and Bob became friendly, and they signed up in the very first V seven, which was a reserve a Navy reserve. Yeah, and the war had not actually started. Right at that time, and then when the war started, they he had applied for um, submarine school. Yeah, yeah. So he we went he went to New London uh, to submarine school and became qualified and earned his dolphin pin and loved submarines. Yeah, yeah, and uh, loved the duty that he had in submarines, and so we dated for. A year and became engaged, and then when he was assigned to a ship uh, to go uh, to the Pacific, yeah, he um, we decided we'd be engaged, but we'd wait, yeah, uh, until the war either over or if he came home a year later to get married, and right. we got married in '42. Um, he came back for new construction. And he had been in Panama on the smallest submarine. I think it was the S-27, tiny submarine. Yeah. And he was ordered back to um, new construction, and they were going to build another submarine on which he would serve. But he came back. uh, He was assigned back here, and the day he left... The S-27, the submarine that he had been on, was in Panama, and it had been rammed by another um, you know, U.S. ship. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, that, and, the, and he had, that's why I always thought he was indestructible. He got, <laughs> he got off that ship the day before it was rammed, and two of the officers in the conning tower had been killed. Oh, no. Yeah. And so... Um, that started his career in submarines, right. actually, seriously. And so during the war, he was on as he, they'd go on 90 day war patrols. Right. And they would get out, get out with the torpedoes. And in the, the Pacific? Tor- in the Pacific. And after the torpedoes were gone and shot, 
the first submarine, I mean, the first um, patrol that he was on, yeah. his ex- he was an ensign, and his senior, one of his senior officers was Chester Nimitz Jr., and very outspoken. Mm-hmm. And when they, they, Bob was involved in um, the computer, data computer operator, which figured out at which time to fire the torpedoes. Anyway, he got the silver star for that. Yeah. And uh, when he got to Pearl Harbor after coming in for um, leave and recreation, Chester Nimitz's father, Admiral Nimitz, was head of the uh, uh, fleet, the Pacific Fleet, and he hadn't seen his son Chester for a long time. Yeah. And he came down uh, to the wharf to meet the submarine, which was the Sturgeon, coming in from the Pacific. And... uh, as he saw his son Chester, who was a big, tall, skinny kid, and his, and Chester saw his father for the first time in a couple of years, and he said to his father, which shocked Bob, "The goddamn Naval Academy is obsolete." <laughs> and he said because the boys that had gone in and under the V seven program had been all uh, college graduates and. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they really uh, were short on in knowledge was engineering, if they had not taken an engineering course. Right. So that proved to be pretty uh, valuable to him and me because uh, it gave came he had to come back and take a course in engineering before he went on a more sophisticated submarine. So you got some. So you, we got you could to spend see time him. with him. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I left out the point that when he left originally, yeah, he went to uh, he was waiting at uh, Mare Island shipyard uh, where the ship was being built to which he would be as was being assigned, right? And uh, he called and he said, called me back in Boston and asked me if I would come out and get married, because he had no idea how long they would be there. Yeah. So I went out That's with my proposed. mother. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we got married at St. Mary's Cathedral uh-huh. in 1942. And um, he thought he could be there six months, a year, or a week. It ended up, <laughs> he was there for three days. Really? <laughs> and my mother and I came back home. The, the manager of the uh, St. Francis Hotel would take me up to the roof and we'd look down in yeah. to San Francisco Bay to see if the uh, ships that were being loaded with the, the boys going out to the Pacific. And, and Bob and some of the uh, submariners were uh, futures, uh, people who were going to submarines. They all... Uh, they were loading. It took them about two or three days to load the ship with supplies and men. Right. And um, so that's when the, I forgot the name of the manager of the hotel, but he'd bring me up to the roof of the St. Francis Hotel and we'd look down into San Francisco Bay and the ship would be gone. We knew that was it. Yeah. So uh, my mother and I headed home uh, after being there a week. Right. 
You thought he could have been a year. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. Yeah. But knowing the way things were, right. I should have known it wouldn't. But it was certainly an impressive sight to drive back from Monterey, where we had gone for a so-called honeymoon, and go into the pier and look as far down at the pier and see um, Army uh, recruits with the new Army helmets that at that time... No, it's the first ones I ever saw, but yeah. it was very quiet, and they were loading very, very professionally, and uh-huh. it was an impressive sight to see as far as you could see with the the troops that went to the Pacific. Right. And um, How did you feel when he told you that he was enlisting originally? Well, I, you know, I didn't, it, it was before the war, and it was... Uh, as a, I think when I was a sophomore in college, uh-huh. which would have been 40, I think, some, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or 39, I guess it was, because he, um, you know, you were thinking, oh, well, sometime in the future when we, if and when we go to war, he will be assigned someplace, but at least he got in under the gun. You know, before before he was drafted or anything, he just knew the war was imminent anyway. I think, and so he yeah. he and Connie signed up when we were at the uh, Gurnet Inn in Green Harbor, and he was so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, um, and so that's what happened. I mean, mm-hmm. he was already signed up, and he went to the Naval Academy for three months, where he took indoctrination courses. Right. Uh, and then he was assigned, he applied for submarine school. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got involved in it. But mm-hmm. you knew he had to go. Yeah. You know. Uh, I mean, everybody, everybody signed up. My brother, who was a, a, a junior at Dartmouth, Bobby, uh, came home from Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And my mother was shocked, and he said everybody had left Dartmouth. Somebody, they're all signed up somewhere to go into the war. Yeah. And, uh, however, unfortunately, three months after he got into, uh, signed up and went into the Army Air Force, he was lost. Oh. Uh, and we never knew what happened to the plane, but he was flying from Accra up to Liberia as co-pilot and they never knew what happened to the plane mm. so that was the first said i'm so sorry uh, mm. my father was telling me um mm. that when someone that's in uh who's serving passes away that people in a in a black car pull up mm-hmm. to your house and then he told me that like we, we you must have seen that car and having two men in your life in the war oh yeah right not knowing who, right. what they were going to come up and tell you. Yeah. That must have been such it was a wicked. mixed well, it was set a of emotions. T- terrible shock for my mother because she never recovered from it. Right. She just uh, she just couldn't believe that he was that he wouldn't be found. He was first reported missing and then they they after all the inquiry they never did find they had to just assume that the plane blew up or oh. yeah. But they were taking 40 wax army women from Accra up to Liberia 
for their leaving recreation. That's, uh-huh. That was it. Must that have been was, hard to lose your brother. Mm, that was I'm sorry. wicked. Mm, horrible. Uh, but anyway, that the war ended. Oh, I forgot about his father. His father was a banker in Boston, and he always felt that he wanted to do something for the war effort. Yeah. And so he was... He had a classmate at Dartmouth who was head of the American Red Cross, and he asked Mr. Carroll if he would take the job as American Red Cross Commissioner for Great Britain and Western Europe was his title. And to make a long story short, he went over and um, under the uh, dollar a year thing and took a leave of absence from the National Assurement Bank. And he, um, his job was to go to the prison camps yeah. and uh, get the boys, American boys, on the straight and narrow so that they would get back home without so yeah. much red tape. And the Queen of Luxembourg insisted that he use her car rather than a Jeep that she felt would be much safer. And when he was returning the car after two or three months, he was killed. He, he was oh. in an automobile accident, on the, and he was in the back seat, and he was instantly killed. Well, that changed Bob's whole outlook. I mean, he wanted to stay in the Navy, and he wanted to yeah. discuss it with his father when, when he got home. The war ended in August, and Bob didn't get home until October. Uh-huh. At which time they were about to report him and the submarine missing. Oh God! Uh, and um, but they he they surfaced and came home in October. Yeah. At which time he, his father was two or three days later was killed, and so he had to go to New York oh. to claim his father's body, and then. His mother told him that she, if he felt like staying in the Navy, that she would be financially okay, and for him not to be changed because of a responsibility to her, right. which she felt she didn't need. So he did stay in the Navy, uh-huh. and um, uh, he his career in the Navy was fabulous. He. Um, he made a great name for himself. He they assigned him to take a a tour through the uh, across the country, lecturing to young men to stay in the navy. Really, and giving uh, telling what the assets of being a naval officer and that you would never be a millionaire, but you'd have a pleasant life and a good. And that was a successful part of his career. And yeah. then as he proceeded. Um, he had a spot promotion, which was outstanding because he was not a Naval Academy graduate, and they picked him yeah. before two years before he was actually to be selected for consideration to becoming a captain. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really, he went ahead and over two pages in the book of people who had been senior to him all through the war. So oh, his man. future in the Navy was assured. Yeah. You know, that he would he had made such a great um, 
name for himself it's as amazing. a career officer. And, yeah. And the people that wrote to him congratulating him were all so sincere yeah. and so good about um, complimenting and saying oh. how wonderful for somebody like him who deserves it and, yeah. and had made such a name for himself. I've read some of those letters. Uh, yeah, weren't they great? Amazing. Yeah, they were. They were wonderful letters. And articles about you and Bob were in the paper when you guys got married. You yeah, know? right. Well, that, Fred says, I have, there's a box at oh, Greg's yeah, those house. Are, that's, uh, uh, who was there? He was a, a, a Dartmouth writer. Bill Cunningham mm-hmm. was the writer that wrote about Bob and his meeting his father when they were in London when his father was the commissioner for the yeah. Red Cross. And his father was kneeling, saying his prayers at night. And, and Bill, they were staying at the... Um, oh, I've forgotten where the place was in London, a lovely hotel. Uh-huh. Anyway, and he said he was praying for his son who yeah. was in submarines out at South Pacific. And that's impressed Bill Cunningham. So, so he wrote a story about it. Um, so what was the war like for you? What was your experience? Well, it was, he, Bob had me mesmerized because he told me that the submarine service was about the safest. Uh-huh. And it, because if you got hit by depth charge, that was it. Yeah. The whole submarine was gone. <laughs> and uh, I finally began to realize that it was not as safe as he was trying to right. pretend. So it was every three months, by the time I heard from him, when, he was, when he'd come back into Pearl Harbor, right. and, uh, he'd be out again. You know, he'd be back out on patrol. Yeah, but it'd be three months yeah, without hearing yeah, from him. Yeah, so you really never knew. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was a tedious waiting and, and wondering. And how were you spending your time? Oh, what is it? Were you still working at Esquire? or Did you have children at that point? Or? No. Oh, of course I did. I had Susan. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were he ra- must have come in for, uh, for new construction. And right. we oh that was it and we had three months um, out in um, uh, California and Kristen I mean uh, Susan was born in that had to be that was forty five that's when I get confused about the chronological yeah. order of he must the war had ended but well, that's not true he. She was, uh, I was eight months pregnant when he left to go on new construction at one uh-huh. point. And when he came home at the end of the war, <clears throat> I went over to New York to meet him, and he just had to kind of take his bumps coming across country. And I met him in New York yeah. with pictures of Susan, yeah. who was eight months old at that point. So, um, Oh, man. And... Uh, then when he met her, when he came home, and she, um, Ellie Rogers had been, my mother had been taking care of her while I was gone. Right. She didn't like him at all. Who <laughs> was this interloper. But uh, from there, what did we do? I, at the end of the war, we went back down to New London because uh, he had to take more uh, courses in uh, submarine uh, development. 
Uh-huh. And then they were building the atomic submarines and that type of thing, mm. which he was just too senior to get into that program. The atomic one. And But he recommended some of the offices on his submarine to right. go into the atomic program. Uh-huh. And um, it was an interesting time because it was Admiral Rickover who was the father of the atomic submarine and because yeah. he was down in in New London, in a very, very uh, unorthodox type of officer. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he really was the scientific genius, but very a hard man to work with, apparently. Yeah. And he said some of the young officers that Bob would recommend would come back and tell Bob, who was then commanding officer of a sub, of a new submarine which was the gudgeon he said bob said how was admiral rickover and the young officer said the first question he asked me was what high school i went to <laughs> and he said i told him and he said whatever the name of the high school was some, a man's name yeah and he said well why why was he um, with a school named after him? What had he done? So they were kind of, <laughs> as I say, unorthodox question. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now where are we? <laughs> we're uh, um, so you're you're having kids and uh, yeah. Freddie was born in 1946. Uh huh. Um. Oh gee. Uh. At in Boston. In Boston, okay. And then uh, when he was, so then you guys moved to London at some point. He what? Didn't you guys move to London at some point? Well, oh yeah, but this is still. Uh, we went to. Um, then my dad was born in Hawaii, right? We went. I went to Hawaii for the first time in 1947. Yeah. With Jeff, with Freddie and Susan. Uh huh. And when we got there, I, uh, Bob was uh, in a submarine, and I was on the Army transport ship, and we were both going under the Golden Gate Bridge at the same time. Yeah. But he, they were going to do maneuvers or something on the way for submarine. Right. And when we got to Hawaii with me with the two babies, we were going to stay with... Uh, we had been assigned naval housing, and when we got there... They realized that the Navy had made a mistake, that we should not have been assigned. But they felt that because they got me out there with the two babies and Bob was going to be gone for a little while, that they had to keep their word. And Bob said, no way, there have been people waiting a year to get into naval housing. So yeah. consequently, we went across the island and we rented a little cottage on the beach in Lanakai, which was just heaven. Yeah. And uh, must have been so nice to be yeah, able to was finally great. be with your husband and your children. Oh, it was a, it beautiful. Spend time yeah. in paradise together after yeah. years of the war. It was lovely. It is. We bought a new. We bought a brand new house. Oh. And. Um, uh, I'm way ahead of myself because. By that time, I had four children. But they bought the house. We went. We went back to after Susan and Freddie. 
Yeah. Before we went and we we stayed in this little cottage, and then we went back from there to uh, Washington. And Bob was at the Bureau of Naval Personnel. And uh, mm-hmm. when he finished that tour, Bobby had been born, right. or Janet rather, and then Bobby a year and a half later while we were living in Washington, and we went back to Hawaii. How was living in Washington? The Washington Washington was, State. It was what? In, you lived in Washington State. Well, we lived no, no Washington D.C. But we lived in Virginia, and uh, we were just there for at that time, I think two or three years, and then we yeah. went back to Hawaii, and that's when we bought the house again right. over in Lanakai. Was yeah. it? Is it? What was it like moving around a lot with little kids? It was what. What was it like moving around every oh, couple of years with little well, it, kids? Well, it was difficult. Right. It really was. Getting kids into school and out of school. Yeah. You know, it was and tough. Trying to make friends in new towns. Yeah, well, we made a decision that as they grew older, that we once they got to high school, we I would stay wherever they were in high school, and mm-hmm. Bob would just come home when he could. Yeah. But... Um, and it worked out well. They the kids were very happy. Great. Yeah. They loved Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. And then my dad was born. And then Dickie was born. And then uh Yeah, Dickie was born while after we bought the new house. And um we were there for three years. Yeah. And then we came back. And those were those were good years. Yeah, they were great years. Little kids running around. You're in no Hawaii. Kids around. Yeah, in Hawaii. It was oh. heaven. And uh, we thought... Um, were you friends with other like naval families there? We, were, we had a lot of civilian friends because okay. we never lived in naval... Housing, uh, right. We lived... We right, always right. bought away from the base. Yeah. So, and uh, the, um, Dickie thought he was Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, who was on the yeah, couple episodes ago of this podcast. So then what happened after that? Um, Hawaii for... Oh, and we came back, and I think we were in Washington again for another... Then we were assigned to... He was assigned as to a uh, a Navy a submarine tender. Right. And we lived in Virginia Beach, and we bought another a house in Virginia Beach. It was beautiful. Uh-huh. And uh, the kids went to school, uh, Lincoln Park, and it was um, from there that we went to London after he had done his duty aboard the uh, submarine tender. Right. And we were sent to um, London. He was to go to the Royal Naval Staff College, yeah. which he did, and we bought a we rented a beautiful. Um, oh, it was really an estate belonging to an English uh, brigadier, and um, the girls went to boarding school. And Susan's roommate was Mia Farrow, who was a, a daughter of a movie very famous movie star and they yeah. were just um, so everybody was just happy as a clam out there Bob <laughs> was happy with his job and then that's when he came, when he went back for 
the conference where he was killed uh, from London. On the plane? And, and then I came home. In the civilian plane crash? He, he, yeah. He flew out. Where was he flying? He was flying home from? I went to Moss Hill Road. Okay. To where I had been brought up. Yeah. And fortunately, my father um, uh, wanted us to make it my home for my children. And I said, I would, he said, at least give it a year and then make up your mind whether you want to go back to Virginia Beach. Uh-huh. And he told me during the time that we were staying, it first started, he said, you think you're going to be something when you go back? He said, Bob had a little prestige as commanding officer of submarine yeah. and a division. He'd become a division commander of submarines. And he said, um, you'll go back there having once had prestige a little, and you'll be nothing. Oh, <laughs> I said, I guess you're right. So that's when we decided to sell the house in Virginia Beach and make Moss Hill Road right. the home for my children and for me that I had before I was married. So Right. Yeah. That must uh, have been an incredibly difficult time. Oh, it was young, a very difficult. Young children. And well, the, t- the, the, the kids were so bewildered. Yeah. You know, here this big, strong, happy-go-lucky uh, goes leaves on a Sunday morning from London, yeah. Having gone to mass with the kids, and then um, yeah, that's the last they saw of him. And then that night, uh, he went. He flew from London to Washington, and he spent the day in Washington. And at ten o'clock, took the plane out of Washington to go to Norfolk, which was probably the shortest flight that he could ever have made. And that's when the plane um, jammed with ice, the motors. It was a Viscount, and it jammed. The the pilot neglected to turn his de-icers, they called them, so that, that the motors, uh, uh, motors would momentarily uh, just jammed in the plane rather than the plane like stopped in midair and came straight down, uh, oh. rather than gliding in. Or it yeah. was, but um, but anyway, we lived at Moss Hill for all the uh, rest of the time until my father died. But that's not my Navy career, is it? Uh, it was. Um, I get the e- the years chronologically are. Confusing to me. Yeah, I, I can't remember which which um, year it was when Bob became a captain. We were living in Virginia Beach, and that was the spot promotion. Right, and that was quite late. Um, he wasn't a captain for very long before he was killed, but it assured his future right. to becoming a, an admiral because yeah. of the. Hmm, outstanding uh, career that he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Must have been really nice to have uh, such a supportive family. The what? Such a supportive family. It must have been so great. Oh, yeah. It's such a hard time to, to help out, you know? Yeah. 
and so you had uh, so who who lived in that house? Because um, I hear that stories house, that about house that house was an interesting house. When I came home and um, making a decision whether to stay there or to go to Virginia Beach or to go yeah. to Hawaii, uh, my cousin who had been brought up like my sister. Ellie Rogers had been living yeah. there with her family, uh-huh. and um, so we all were living there at for a little while after I had come home, and my father wanted me. He said he would turn the house, put the house in my name, and we'd live there. And I said, "That's when I had to make the decision." And I finally said to him, "Dad, I can't live here like this. I've had my own house." So he said, "Well, I'll tell Ellie." We should buy a house, and you live here with your with your family, and I'll put the house in my name. Is what he what what he did. So oh, wow. that was, and he told me I could do anything I wanted to change oh, it or whatever. Yeah, I bring my own furniture that had been in storage, and so, so you got I the mean, house. It worked out well. Yeah, yeah, and so my kids were brought up there in the same, and that's the one you hear them talking about with all the funny things that yeah because <laughs> it made a home for my father too papa yeah uh-huh because my mother had died two months before oh. at age 62 oh man and so uh, that became our home yeah and they have happy memories of it you know yeah but there were, it was a tough time for those kids i'll tell you yeah so you lost your husband and your mother all within three years you lost your husband and your mother in yeah, a short time. Yeah, within two months. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, my mother died in November, and I came back for her funeral. And um, when I went back, Bob said that we would move closer to London because it was a little bleak. Yeah. He'd leave at 7 in the morning and take the the train up to London, he wouldn't get back till 7 or 8 that night. Yeah. And it was too long a commute. And uh, so we, that's what we, I was looking for a house uh, or an apartment up in London uh-huh. at the time of his death. So um, we were going to make some changes. So then, we, you know, my mother, I was still mourning my mother. And it was, yeah. And, um, but there was kind of bleak days, but we, we got through them. And yeah. um, when Bob was killed, we came immediately to Moss Hill, yeah, not knowing what we were going to be doing. But he was killed in uh, ri- near Richmond, Virginia, uh-huh. and they shipped his body from Richmond to Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And so he was... the funeral was from Moss Hill and then we that's when we just stayed there and made it our home. Right. Yeah. How did you get through those times? The what? How did you get through those times? Do you have any advice for people dealing with grief in their own lives right now? Oh, there were wonderful navy people around the Boston area that Yeah. Were, that really were very helpful to me. Yeah. Um and the kids uh my father put them in schools. Right. You know, he he was very helpful financially. And, right. Yeah. So, anything else? <laughs> yeah. Well, just so so, you st- so. What were your kids like? What was it like when they were running around? 
at that time? Yeah, so they're growing up. Oh, they up were like they're... normal kids. I, they got into the trouble as well as <laughs> good things. But Freddie yeah. went to the Naval Academy and hated it. Yeah. And left. And uh, it was during the Vietnam War that it was and Your single so mother much... raising five kids. Yeah, it was during tough. The 60s. <laughs> oh, during the 60s. It couldn't yeah. have been a worse time. <laughs> oh, they were, it was awful. Yeah. Freddie was... Um, the the kid the young people were right and the older people were we were not right in our um, patriotism and uh-huh. it was caused a lot of conflict between yeah uh, children and parents totally um, I I thought it was the worst time you could pass as I look back I even think so now yeah that it was the worst time to bring up awfully hard time to bring up kids right. Mm. Because there's this mistrust of authority and yeah, that's right. Clear motives, but they were correct. You know, they oh. were right, and we were wrong. The adults that wow. would say our country right or wrong, right? Well, yeah. coming from World War II, when it was it was such a clear thing that was happening. You know, yeah, it was a tough Nazis, time. You know, yeah, where it seemed more like a more noble cause i'm sure right exactly you couldn't see your children opposing your point of view <laughs> yeah. but they were right and, it, and that war was i still think the worst that you could possibly have just yeah. awful so many people are still affected by it you know um, um there that left its mark on an awful lot of kids yeah the vietnam war um, and now I don't know what we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, um, yeah, wow. Um, you forgot my question. I did. I did. I, I spaced out you had for a, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you had a, a view. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. have so many thoughts and I, I really appreciate you, um, yeah. sharing so much. And being it's so a little, confi- and, little, um, mixed up in as far as the, uh, um, the dates, right? Yeah, I, it's I, I appreciate you sharing, and I, <clears throat> and I hope it's all right that I'm kind of taking you through some painful memories. And I, oh, I apologize. Uh, yeah, for that. no, it's it's uh, there's a lot of them in there, uh, Mark, and that I can't remember. I mean, I can't remember little incidents. Um, yeah, getting you know, looking, getting to to London. And Bob going right out to the Royal Naval Staff College, and I'm left in London with the station wagon that the English people thought was a big, luxurious American <laughs> car. I said, it's really not a luxurious car. Yeah. And I couldn't convince them, so I sound, you sounded patronizing when you say, yeah. oh, no, it's not really an American car. So I said, I guess I better drop that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, he, and then I'd get the... the Five kids. We were living in a um, Navy hotel in London. Get the kids in the car, go around to the schools, find out the American School of London where Freddie Y had got him in there. The two girls went to Marymount um, boarding school in London, and uh, 
Bobby and Dickie went to a little girl, a girl's boarding school in the <laughs> village. Bobby wanted to know if there were any boys that lived in uh, London. Yeah. And then one day he came home and he said, Bob was there for the weekend, and he said, um, the dancing master will be here on Thursday to teach us dancing. And Bob said, holy God, get that kid out of that school. The dancing master? Oh, they're the dancing master. The dancing master. (laughs) And then Bob would go someplace and brought him back. Yeah. He brought back gifts to the kids, and he brought Bobby a, um, a watch. And yeah. Bobby kept, oh, Dad, the girls thought the watch was smashing. <laughs> Get that kid out of that school. Amazing. Yeah. So what are, you, what are some of your favorite memories? My favorite memories are the birth of Dickie and, the, and living in Hawaii. Yeah. It was just terrific. We had some wonderful friends. We had a lovely neighborhood yeah. right on this beautiful Lanakai Beach. Oh. Right? And I, that's when, as I said, uh, that I was looking, making, trying to make a decision where to live permanently. Yeah. And that's what I really would have preferred to go to Hawaii. And then yeah. thinking it over, my father was right. He said, "You'd be Bob had a division, command of a division, and right. it was a little um, enjoyable. And he said, you would go back. You won't be able to live in naval housing. Right. Not that I would have anyway, because we never did. Right. And um, and my friends out there were were just all civilian people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so... How did you guys spend your days in Hawaii? Well, really taking care of the kids. Yeah. yeah. Dickie was children. a new baby, and I yeah. had been uh, busy. I mean, I never thought of... Uh, as most of the women do, and following those, following the war, getting jobs. I never thought of getting a job. Yeah, I mean, I had a full time job. I think just bringing up the kids, the yeah. boys. Uh, I'd be going. Bobby went to Wilbraham, and I'd be up there every other week for mm. something that was happening. So it was a busy time for me. Yeah. Mm. So. What were some of your favorite songs? That was one of my, if not the favorite song, is the Hawaiian wedding song, Kekali Neau. I don't know it. Beautiful song. Have you ever heard it? No, I got to hear it. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You love it. They sang it at Susan's wedding. Um, and uh, what's another one of my favorite songs? Kekali Neau. Oh, you've heard it. It's just beautiful. Um one another, the way you look tonight, ballads mostly. Yeah. Because I can't understand the words to some of the rock, you know, the, the words, I can't get them. Oh, yeah, those, um, those kids. Oh. And their stares. <laughs> oh, baby, yeah. All the, I think the ballads that are, are, are beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and I, like, I like some of the, uh, the one of my favorite uh, performers, now is um, what's a blonde girl? Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought she was. I was so impressed by her smartness. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, she decided she'd make her own 
publishing company? Yeah. Yeah, as a kid. Pretty smart. Yeah, I thought she's great. So the Hawaiian wedding song, the way you the look The Hawaiian tonight. wedding song, Ke Kali Neau. Ke Kali Neau. Uh, I don't know how you spell it. Or I'll figure it out. Ke Kali Neau. It's beautiful. Yeah. What about your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Yeah. You'd be surprised. It's, um, I thought, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, where he was the... the uh, uh, he was what, as good as it gets. As good as it gets. Yeah, as well oh. where he was wouldn't step on the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, and he, I thought he did the best job of acting when he she, she said to him as a waitress, uh, he he was helping her a little. He didn't want people to think he was kind. Yeah, and he did such a good job of he acting, did. not saying anything, but just the expression on his face yeah. when she said. No matter what you do, I'm not sleeping with you. <laughs> and his face, to me, was outstanding. Yeah. Because he he acted like he didn't, that wasn't his intention at all. He was just doing it to help the little boy. And right. he was so hurt. And it all came without any conversation. It was just the way he One expressed look. his... his um, his uh, emotions came through on his facial expression. Yeah. Which I thought was outstanding. Uh, yeah. I, I loved that movie. And he had the relationship with his neighbor. Yeah. And the little dog. <laughs> the little he dog. Was, <laughs> he put the dog down the mail chute. Yeah. I what thought that was My favorite thing. line from that movie is when he's talking to, uh, I think it's Helen Hunt. He's out to dinner towards the end. And... Um, He's telling her, like, he started taking his medication or whatever. And um, she's like, what are, you, what are you trying to say? And he was, he was paying her a compliment, like, you make me want to be a better man, yeah. he says to her. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. you know, he, he, what, he was ignoring his health before. But, like, since yeah. meeting her, he wants to be better. And I just, yeah. that's just so beautiful. Well, he, <laughs> you know, he was so, he was such a paradox, I think. Because yeah. he... He really wasn't. And I remember when in the restaurant and the black when made remarks about the black man. And, yeah. Oh, he was awful. Right. And uh, and Michael Keaton plays the the gay character. Yeah, and he yeah. says, "This is my gay friend, <laughs> or my queer friend, or something." He was he was so awful. Yeah, Michael and Keaton actually, did a great job in that movie. His kindness over uh, it was more important to him, unknowingly to him. Yeah. I mean, he didn't want to be known as the kind, kind soul. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought that was a great picture. Every time I see that it's on, I listen to it. Yeah. I mean, I watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great one. And he, when he brought the boy down to visit his family. Yeah. The, the kid that was so bad, he was, he did a good job of acting in that movie too. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, is there your favorite place in the world? My favorite place in the world. Um, I think that if I had, I like Bermuda. Yeah. I, oh, not to have stayed, not to have lived there, but mm -hmm. to live, um, uh, I, I think I would prefer to live in some place like Hawaii, except it's so mm. far away. Right. Yeah. So you never remarried after Bob? No. 
I never even gave it a thought. Yeah. I knew my children were so affected by his death, and they were so afraid something would happen to me. Right. And it came out in almost every one of their um, activities. I mean, they just, uh, if I were gone for the weekend, I could see the fear in their their faces. I went to visit some Navy friends in Hawaii, and I mean, in uh, London. In 1963, three years after Bob was killed, and um, oh, I could see that they really didn't want me to go, but they didn't want to prevent me from taking the nice trip. Yeah, okay. Uh, went on the U uh, um, USS America, I think, and oh, they were so glad when I got home. Bobby, especially, he, he stuttered, you know, and it. He it was he he was affected differently than the others, but they were all just totally overwhelmed by what happened with Bob's death. They they had a hard time, yeah, adjusting to it. Uh, Bobby would his mother, Mrs. Carroll, came to visit us in Hawaii, uh-huh. and Bobby was young enough not to. Um, understand the relationship between that this is Bob's mother, his right. grandmother. So on the way home from the airport, he says, oh, my dad, so brave. My dad was so brave. <laughs> and she, I said, this is daddy's mother. <laughs> and Bobby, that was, that was almost too much for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah he was a little kid. He was just so cute. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, what what an amazing um, role model you must have been for your children, being so strong, you know, and showing them. Well, I like, don't think they felt that way. I mean, I don't. Know, maybe they do now as mm, they look back. But, right. Um, it it's too hard to describe my feeling for them because I knew the torture they were going through. Right. Freddie could never talk about Bob, mm-hmm. but um, he found it. He was. But they were all. I shouldn't say one felt was was. I can't say that one felt worse or went through more or less than the other. They all just were just totally bewildered by the whole thing. My father was great to them. Yeah. And and uh, but the, it was just something that affected them all for the rest mm. of their lives. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any? Uh, you, you you've just instilled like such great values in your children that that my father has passed down to me. You know about just humility and dignity and education and treating other people with respect and curiosity. Yeah. And words, you know. Yeah. So many amazing things. I mean, my my father speaks of you in such. Uh, well, he you know, beautiful he, way. I used to get angry that he didn't remember Bob, and I said, "Of course you remember." He used to. T- think that you looked like a preacher and you'd call you preaching but Dickie says mom I don't remember I don't I was only three yeah and I I just want him to remember him so much and he he, he doesn't and just that that's it except for what he hears and right and and from memory and um it was sometimes it'd be good to interview one of the one of the kids 
Yeah. And Freddie, Freddie wouldn't be able to tell you truthfully, I don't think. <laughs> I yeah, think I want he, to. I think he was too... Um, Freddie was just bewildered so to the point that, you know, he was 13, I think. Yeah. And he was trying to trying to be strong about it, but, oh, he was so, so devastated, mm. really, by it. But, um, anyway. So just shifting gears a little bit, uh, what was it like when my dad left for California? He was the first one to kind of leave, right? When, you, when, you, when the kids all left, it was awful. The yeah. house was, the house, so many changes occurred. Like my mother, uh, my father was great for probably yeah. um, 10 or 12 years. And then right. he got sick, you know, and then that was, a, and he never wanted me to go out. He wanted me to stay there with him and. And the kids would get say, "No, Papa, she's she's only going for dinner. She'll be back." Yeah. And he said, "Please don't go." He didn't want to be alone, Papa. And so that caused a little problem. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, uh, he when and he kept saying to me, "You should sell the house." I said, "Papa, if I sell the house, what am I going to do with you?" Yeah. <laughs> But when 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 Dickie left for California, was oh, that yeah. was that a big deal? Not really, because yeah. I thought they'd come back. <laughs> right. I thought they'd go and see California, and then I thought they'd come back. Yeah, but um, that wasn't the that they they were going. They they really went wanted to see the world as yeah, uh, what they thought their life was going to be. I guess yeah. I knew we wouldn't come back after he had been there for such. They loved it. So Dickie and but Bobby came back. Freddie would never went. Dickie and Bobby were the ones that went. Yeah, my um, my dad always tells me stories about him getting in fights as kids and stuff like that. They get in a lot of fights. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize it until long after. Right, they had grown up. Yeah. Because there was a lot I didn't know that went on. <laughs> They'd go out in the morning down the back stairway. What would they do to play hockey? I can't. I can't remember what it was. But they they'd go out in the morning and yeah. Um, and then, of course, they'd come in at night and go out again. And I and I'd be sleeping, thinking yeah. they were in bed. Uh huh. I don't know as they because I'm getting that a little confused with my brothers. Yeah, you know, because I lived there when they were right. siblings. Mm. Yeah. No, there was a, it was a, it was a great house yeah. to live in. Is that an accident? No, no. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's just a guy unloading a truck. Yeah. We're looking out a window right now on mm. Newberry Street in Boston. Yeah, Newberry Street. It's great. Um, do you believe in God, Dottie? I do. What's your relationship? I'm very devout to my uh, I. Because I attribute the safety of my family and the and the war through prayer. I'm very, very enthusiastic about the power of prayer. Yeah. Then I pray for uh, for Samantha on a novena that I say my sister every night, and I have a another novena for Bobby. Uh huh. 
So that, that's how I get to sleep. See, <laughs> no, my my Catholic education was a very um, strong part of my life. Right. Hmm. There are times when I question, and I get disillusioned, and then I realize the power of prayer. Right. And I, I just, I truly believe in it, and um, and it's been a strong part of my life yeah. to live by it. And and I think when you kids were brought up, there were no Catholic teachers that were available, especially when I went out to. Samantha, I think her first communion out, and, uh-huh. and I was asking her a few questions from the catechism. Yeah, and they, she didn't know what I was talking about, so <laughs> she had never been taught. Yeah, you know. And I said, "Are there not any nuns?" And there were no nuns. Yeah. Not that they were the supreme being of it, <laughs> but um, but I mean, I think it was taught differently. Yeah, your religion, your Catholic religion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, I think that the scandal in the Catholic Church has done irreparable damage it does. to young people. Oh, yeah, a lot of people don't trust oh, the church. The, uh, irreparable, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I know very devout people who actually became very disillusioned about their religion Yeah, because of that. Yeah, but I know I know a lot of people of faith, and, and I, 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 too, am, am a... Believer in in the the power yeah. of prayer and meditation, it, it, it's absolutely and people coming together and ritual and community and right. uh, you know mythology and yeah, it's uh, even D- Dickie Dickie hasn't had a great uh, Catholic education because that they were gone. I mean, I can remember going out and he when he came to church with me out in California when I visited the first time, one of the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, no, because the kids were were grown. I think it was not grown. I think it was the same um, incident with, with uh, Samantha when she was receiving her first communion. Yeah. And Dickie said, what happened to shirts and ties? When we went to the church, people had California. jeans. Yeah. And <laughs> we used, you'd have to get dressed up to go to church. Yeah. And he said, "What happened to shirts and ties, and at the mass?" <laughs> right. Yeah. One one memory that's just—I uh, remember one conversation you and I had my freshman year of college, mm. when I I rushed the fraternity for like a week and then decided not to do it. And you were telling me about your kind of uh, Greek life experience uh-huh. and, and going to the fraternity, and it was all about who had the best symphony oh. orchestra or not symphony or wh- whoever had the best like orchestra at oh, the yeah. frat parties oh which is crazy to me now because the Isn't frat that funny yeah just the difference between the fraternity scene the yeah. party scene in college you yeah. know imagining showing up and seeing an orchestra yeah. <laughs> at a fraternity <laughs> house isn't that funny bob's mother and father were the were the uh, chaperones <laughs> yeah and why, but i wasn't there i didn't know bob when he was at dartmouth i met him the year after he had graduated but so he used to tell all the stories about Dartmouth. It was yeah. so funny. <laughs> his mother and father were the chaperones, and he was the yeah. only one that was up in the living room. Yeah. Oh, it was funny. So I'd love to, to, to end our conversation with just uh, mm. 
just some advice from you in, in so a couple different areas, if you don't mm. mind me asking for some advice. Mm. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> well, what would you say uh, for people listening? I have uh, some people that listen to this podcast are about my age and, and people kind of, uh, you know, really embarking upon your their... age now. Yeah. What about how, what I think? I think that I would hate to be a parent uh-huh. bringing up kids with the uh, with the um freedom of um uh, of the action of kids i mean uh, uh, all this business uh that there's nothing that they can't discuss which uh-huh. is probably a good thing in one way yeah but i it's, it would be such a difficult time for me bringing up kids uh, yeah. at the time that you kids were brought up uh-huh. i mean i thought the 60s were horrible but i mean the outcome of it all when i would listen to this one of my friends who was a teacher and she she said she ellie mcgee she's very naive and she was a teacher and she said these little kindergarten kids would come in and be afraid to get in the bus with some of the little kids that were with them that were threatening things that were Unheard of. Oh. I said, in the kindergarten? <laughs> oh, probably the first or second grade. I yeah. can't, probably a little older. But <laughs> I mean, that, I said, I can't believe it. We, we, in high school, we never discussed stuff like that. Uh-huh. I mean, it, uh, the freedom of, um, well, the way the laws, even in the church, you know, that the laws, uh, um, people, the priests are aware of it. I mean, if you ever told a priest that you stayed with the guy, and here the priests are marrying them, know they've been living together for, I mean, that type of thing was very difficult for me to accept yeah. as normal. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah, but the world changed tremendously from the time yeah. I was a young, young adult uh, till. You're a young adult, right? I mean, unheard of, so <laughs> and that—that's you just have to accept it. I mean, that's yeah. all it is. I mean, totally. the kids, kids said God's the one to, to make the judgment, not uh-huh. other people. And I, I, um, and and the priests. I mean, I think as I said that they've ruined the respect that kids would normally have for priests, mm-hmm. and that makes me feel badly about the priest who have a true um, vocation. Yeah, true men of God. Yeah, because they really are trying true. To, dedicating their lives yeah, to they bringing have. the Word of God and, to people. And they're all put in one category, I think, now. Yeah, it's a shame. People it that is. are truly dedicated to like making the world a no, better I know place it, but and like, bringing some... love <laughs> yeah. into the universe, the, I know they, get a, they do get a bad rap. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There are truly holy men. Yeah, there are. It blows my mind to think about that mm-hmm. there really are. When I think of Mother Teresa and someone like her, who was, what a wonderful person she was. And, yeah. And um, then there are people who are truly like that. Yeah. They, uh, what, what, what advice would you have uh, for parents? For parents? God, I don't know. Uh, American, I, I, that's why I say I'm glad I brought up my children yeah. when I did. I mean, as difficult as it was. Uh-huh. But I think that my advice is that there's nothing important enough 
to split up a family, no argument that can occur be- among a family yeah. that is um, justified, no matter what it is, I don't think, to break up a family. I think the family life is so uh, important mm-hmm. to love one another, in your, particularly in your family. That's why Freddie got me so mad when he'd be calling poor Greg, who worked hard, and he'd be, be telling him it's it's not personal. He said, "But of course it's personal." Yeah, you know, and it's it's it. I don't. I just don't think that a family. My mother's family was constantly bickering over stupid little things. Yeah, you know, and they would so and so wasn't speaking to so and so because. Of some stupid little thing. Yeah. And I thought, God, why are they not speaking to one another? Family, I mean, sisters and brothers, and because of some idiotic argument. And there are families that have, well, as you well know, many of them are, are, have so much animosity among them yeah. that it's not worth it to, 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 um, lose your family connections and because of some little insignificant thing which happens yeah uh, and I, I just say just let it just forget it i mean you, you maybe you've been offended or maybe you don't approve forget it yeah. you know don't just like as bridget said she told me that i told her one time don't sweat the small stuff yeah. <laughs> Which is true. You let some, you know, insignificant little thing affect the way you act towards your family. And I just don't think maybe that's being naive or something or optimistic, but I just think family should stick to one another and, and be um, maybe I'm the death of Bob might have strengthened that. Yeah. Belief, but uh, I just meant it's has meant so much to me through my life that um, yeah, and the the reason I I I just think it's it's um, I don't know how to describe the importance it is to me for my family to have supported me as they did, you know, through my decisions, some probably which they didn't like, but. Yeah. I've had such good support from my family, yeah. and and it means it gives you strength, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but I I think it's a tough thing for fa- for parents to bring up kids. But definitely. I think the important thing is to just always love them, no matter what. Yeah, you know, always show. You may we may not like what they do, but you, you just say. Not in a in a nasty way. I don't like what you've done, or I won't approve of it. But you're still my child, and I would support you in everything you do. I mean, I think that's the big thing to, to for kids. If you ever notice the kids that get themselves into trouble, and uh, are kids whose parents are not uh, supportive. Uh-huh. I think I think that's a a very important part of life to a kid, a growing adult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, I, you know, you may give it a second thought if you get um, 
a support from them, even though they disapprove of what you've done. They still um, value the fact that you're their child and they, they love you. And uh, maybe it's that it's maybe it's not the right way. I don't know, but for me, it has been. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's beautiful. Are there mm. any? Uh, is there any advice you have for for young people? Uh, just general life advice to, 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 for young people to realize that parents are their best friends, <laughs> yeah. and their and their families too. They're yeah. the best. Yeah, they're your best friends. Mm. And I think it's some parents are like last night when I was saying about the kids all saying, "Oh no, we weren't at Mrs. Snow's. No, we we didn't throw snow." Well, one kid I would have been a little bit uh, critical of. As a matter of fact, John, well, I shouldn't mention his name, but uh, because I knew his father would be kill him. I mean, beat him with his belt. He'd use those old-fashioned uh, Irish fathers that yeah. take their belt and whack. <laughs> I don't think they should ever hit kids uh, for punishment. Yeah. There's other there are other way, other ways of saying you did the wrong thing, but I, I don't I don't I don't approve of that. You know the old fashioned Irish father, the yeah. mother would say, "Wait till your father comes home." Oh, I, said, I knew the kids in our neighborhood. That some of the fathers were horrible. Yeah, awful. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Then Susan will tell the story about me throwing the coke over her head. Yeah, what's that story? But she, we, we had just had a, the tough trip to Hawaii. Yeah. You know, she was, she was a, a two and a half and Freddie was one. And we got to the little cottage over there yeah. when, the, when naval housing. Bob said no, even though they owed it to us and they made a mistake. He said no. I'm not going. I told you that I'm not going to take naval housing when people have been waiting a year or more to get in. Yeah, and then we just arrive and get in because they made the promise to her. They made a mistake, and so we never, um, we never uh, took the uh, took the the naval housing. Yeah. What was what was the point? I forgot. So you throwing the coke over oh, yeah. Susan's so head. Oh yeah. So Susan and so I was. I arrived one day, which was thanks day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and the submarine gave all of the wives a turkey, a, yeah. a raw turkey, because the next day was Thanksgiving. And I'm saying, what am I going to do with this? I don't. I never cooked a turkey in my life. <laughs> anyway, and it was a. And Bob left to go to China for three months. Uh -huh. So I'm at this cottage with the two kids, and we finally, I got everything together and walked down this little dirt path to the beach, and I had everything, the towels and the bathing suits and all that, and, the and yeah, Susan, I fussed about something, and I said, I'll get it in a minute, I'll get it, and finally she fussed so much, I took the coke that we had, let's pour it on the top of it. And she she talks about that all the time. <laughs> um, and I said, she said, well, you threw the coke on my head. That's not very good. 
I said, it's a wonder I didn't throw it all over you before bottles of it instead of one. <laughs> oh, she was a crank. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man. You were great in charades last night. I love charades. You were so great when you, because you had, you, you, you had Michael Jackson and you did the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. You sang a little song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but you, that's, that's a fun game, but you have yeah. to get your signals. You've got, this is a, a Sentence and that you know little things Hand like signals. that to save the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. We've had more fun in those during those times. I can still see when the Navy dinner parties that I would have, and we'd play charades. And one of yeah. the admirals is on the ground kicking his leg out. You know, I don't know what the what he was trying to act out, but couldn't stop laughing. This very dignified guy. He's down. And he's yeah. so mad at us because we couldn't get it. Forgot what it was, but we really had fun. But you, and you and it would, somebody would be keeping the time. Yeah, you know it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gotta go to the bathroom. Yeah, I just well we can be done, but I just really appreciate you spending oh, yeah. the time with oh, me, I, Daddy. Yeah. As I say, I get things mixed up. No, I appreciate it so time. much, Daddy. Okay, love. Thank you so much. Oh. Wanting to do it for a long time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I take my pills and I love you, Daddy.